2: hello and welcome to hit me one more time the nostalgia reflection podcast where we look at the things that we loved when we were younger and ask the question is this good with me as always of course the man that helped me find my son even though he can't remember his own name nick share nick hello who am i yeah every day it's a real tragedy
1: Honestly, I mean, really, that's probably the first thing most people think about when they wake up, like you might not be saying it consciously, but like you kind of have to wake up and remember that you're existing. Wait, do, right? you have, do you have an identity crisis every time you wake up? And when I go to bed, David, oh. and when I go to bed.
2: That, that feels appropriate. Well, we have no identity crisis about our guest this week. We know who they are. It is Ellen Weatherford of Just the Zoo of Us. Ellen, welcome to the show.
0: Hey y'all! Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. I I was trying to think of like a funny and topical uh, introduction for myself, and I thought about like saying hello in the whale language that Dory speaks <laughs> in the movie. But then I thought that would be like way too much just audio poison. So I decided to have my all
1: by not I mean, doing that today. I would have I would have dug that. honestly. <laughs> so can I kind of ask is is just the the zoo of us? Is it like a Will Smith at the zoo? podcast like is Will Smith <laughs> involved at all I just want to want to know
0: It's really funny that you say that because um I have in the past uh joked around about Will Smith having been the first draft of like when we were coming up with the format of the show that originally Will Smith was our first pick for co-host it was going to be me and Will Smith um uh, but he said no so I had to settle for co-hosting with husband. Oh so, no Will Smith is not involved unfortunately. Um usually it's me and my husband Christian. Um but we also have episodes where we're co-hosted by guest experts.
1: Guest experts. Mm-hmm. Who? Yeah, we've had called.
0: we've had some really cool people and we've had like marine biologists and entomologists and taxonomists and just all sorts of really really cool people.
2: Now now I I I, I do have a question about some of these uh special guest experts, but before we get to that, why don't you let us know a little bit more about Just the Zoo of Us and what that show is all about?
0: Yeah, of course. So we're an animal review podcast. So in each episode, we pick an animal and we do a lot of research. So we make sure that we're actually like basing our opinions in fact. <laughs> and we assign the animal ratings, numerical ratings out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, physical adaptation. Ingenuity, which is behavioral adaptation, and aesthetics, which is just how nice they are to look at. Um, so that's kind of our format. Um, mm. It's really more than anything it's wildlife science communication, but, you know, it is also fun and casual. You know, neither Christian nor I are duologists or anything like that, but uh, we kind of go super hard <laughs> on the research side of things um, and get to really learn a lot about the animals that we're talking about through the lens of kind of scoring them you know like sometimes we dunk on them a little bit but like that's (laughs) the format sometimes sometimes you got to drag them just to like i don't know put it in context
2: was was there an animal that you thought like oh i love that guy and then like through your research uh when you got to the end of it you were like i'm giving them a lower score than i expected
0: Oh, yeah, constantly. Um, the one that I, that comes to mind is the Luna Moth, um, which I love. I think it's just, you know, just this gorgeous, ethereal, uh, hypnotic looking animal that's so incredible. And then you learn and the, the form, the adult form of the moth that is this really striking and beautiful creature literally only exists to reproduce. Like they don't have a mouth. They don't eat like they're barely alive. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> they're really? Like, I, honestly, I was like, man, I expected them to have something going for them, but they only live for like a few days and that's it. That's their life is just flying around trying to find a mate. And that's it. Like they, they really got nothing else really going for them. And I was like, man, I wish I hadn't learned that.
2: <laughs> Nick, I need you to cancel the rest of the show because we are only talking about the Luna moth for the rest of our time. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Yeah, like I get it. Like I get it, Luna Moth. Like, what your, <laughs> what your life is. That is <laughs> they are it's crazy. true. They are not domesticated moths, unlike domesticated moths that I'm sure exist in some version of reality. What?
2: Okay. <laughs> but domesticated moths. i just
1: I don't think it's entirely impossible of a
2: concept. Good lord. Okay, we're we're gonna stop talking about moths now and we're gonna go under the ocean. For uh, I guess well I guess into the ocean you can't really go under the ocean
1: under the sea There we go
0: I guess you could go under the ocean if you like went into like trenches or like underground like birds into like crossed. the Yeah like into the volcanoes that are technically I guess
2: un- Okay well I've been proven wrong on my own show so <laughs> but we're going into the ocean because that's where this week's topic lives which is finding Nemo This early 2000s Pixar movie tells the story of Marlin, a cowardly clownfish, as he searches for his son Nemo with the help of Dory, a forgetful, regal blue tang. This is the part of the show where we give our own histories with the topic. And Ellen, since you brought this to the show, what is your history with Finding Dory, or Finding Dory, with uh, not the sequel, with Finding Nemo, and why did you decide to pick it?
0: Yeah, so Finding Nemo came out in 2003. Uh, I was eight years old when this movie came out, so I was right, like, I mean smack dab in that target demographic for this movie, right? Like, this movie was very hard, like, marketed at me specifically, pretty much. So I remember seeing this movie in theaters multiple times when it came out um, with, like, different like branches of my family so like I went and saw it with my mom and then I went to visit my dad and while I was with my dad he took me to go see it and then I went to stay with my grandparents and they went and took me to see it too so I saw this movie so many times and then for a while there it was really kind of like the default kids movie. it felt like very it was kind of like the cultural moment right then it was like everything was finding out right so like if we were in school and they were like we're having a just like a relax a fun day we're all just gonna watch finding nemo like it was a period of time where we watched finding nemo like in every class all day long um because it was just like the go-to kids movie so you know i i remember even when i was rewatching the movie i felt like i, I still have so many scenes of this movie memorized from my childhood of basically watching this movie on repeat um very much like a cultural cornerstone, I think, from my childhood, because I was just right at that peak age where like, I could follow along with the story, get some of the humor. And it just it really worked for me. It was really, it it played a huge part in my childhood.
2: Nick, I want to check in with you real quick. How did you feel about the revelation that she was eight years old when this movie came out? How did that make you
1: feel? it makes me feel like a lunar moth man like (laughs) we're here for such a brief period of time what's Um, what's your history you know i i accept that aging and death is a thing that we really don't have time to get into on this podcast um but yeah i mean there are i'm pretty sure people younger than us unconfirmed yeah that's all i have to say on that particular subject
2: What's what's your what about uh, about your history with Finding Nemo? Do you have any sort of history? Have you even heard of this fish film? Was this scary to you to learn that fish could
1: talk? Yes, uh, I'm not going <laughs> to tell you what I said. Yes, to uh, I do have an interesting history with Finding Nemo. Mm. Get ready for this. Um, so, uh, yeah, 2003, right? So um, I remember actually now i can't remember if it was after monsters inc or or finding nemo one or the others but so long story short my mom had a partner uh named harriet uh, she was a retired well she was she retired from being a history teacher after i had met her blah 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 um basically was like a second mom to me growing up um she apparently was the history teacher for andrew stanton the director Ooh. and his brother at uh, rockport oh. high school um so I, I think it must have been after Monsters, Inc., because she, when we were watching the credits, uh, either during the credits or afterwards, she mentioned that, and to be fair, she, I never saw evidence, so I guess this is all hearsay. Um, but she said that she recognized some of the monsters, because I don't think Andrew Stanton directed Monsters, Inc., but I guess he was involved in some of the character design. And supposedly, she recognized some of the monsters from doodles that Andrew Stanton would leave on the work that he would turn in. Uh, in her class supposedly that's really cool Um, he was one
2: of the screenwriters so you know he probably may have uh put in some some doodles for inspiration
1: fair enough so possibly true zero way to back that up that but that's my that's that's my like a personal connection to it um is that i six degrees of kevin harriet bacon something um so, other than that, uh, I mean, I was what, 2003. So we were f- 15, I think, David? We, uh,
2: uh, what, 2003, we would have been f- uh, like right, almost
1: 16, 18, 14, 15 years old uh, or so. No, uh, dude, we would have been like
2: 16, 17.
1: No, wait, we graduated, I graduated in 2006.
2: Oh, right. Well, still, okay. No, you're right. I graduated '07. So I guess we would have been like 14, 15.
1: All right. Well, as the elder here, um, uh, yeah i mean i saw finding Nemo. i remember um uh it being a big deal because of that whole like harriet tot um andrew stanton thing uh beyond that i mean i enjoyed the movie uh very much when i saw it uh, i've maybe seen it one or two times since then um but beyond that it's not something that i've gone back to revisit and a long time so this was a this was an interesting a nice treat to kind of come back and revisit or was it we won't find out at the end of the podcast Uh, i
2: don't have any interesting cool anecdotes nobody in my life uh, i know was connected to the making of this film saw this movie when i was a teenager thought well that was great uh have seen it several times since then probably haven't seen it in a while since before i saw finding dory which was that was at least like three to four years ago i know the movie came out Five years ago, but I didn't see it until a little bit after that, so uh, I didn't really have a re- like have a recent viewing of this movie. So this was also a, a kind of refresher for me too. Fun to revisit, or was it? We'll find out. It's uh, it's interesting to hear from you, Ellen, just how much this was the cultural touchstone for kids, because I think I can recognize that now. And there's some stuff, especially with like the Disney parks, that that's like totally clear. Uh, with how much Nemo just kind of was all over Disney after that. But we'll get into more of that with our discussion. Before we get there, Nick, what's the world's history with Finding Nemo?
1: The world's history is... Dot, dot, dot. Um, that was a bad segue. Inspiration for Finding Nemo came from writer and director Andrew Stanton's own life, which I know about. He used to love seeing the fish at his own dentist's office, assuming that the fish there were from the ocean and wanted to go home. He chose clownfish due to the fact that they are colorful, but rarely leave the protection of the anemone in which they make their home. He began on the screenplay during post-production of A Bug's Life, and it went into production with a complete screenplay, which is very unusual for an animated film. Some details were changed during production, like the flashback of Coral's death being moved from the end of the film to the beginning. Uh, Stanton says that the casting of Albert Brooks saved the fi- the film. Dory was originally male, but the character was changed when Stanton was inspired to cast Ellen DeGeneres after he saw her change the subject five times before finishing a sentence on an episode of Ellen. Uh, the animators of the film were given a crash course on fish biology and oceanography, and the artists took scuba diving lessons to study the coral reef. Finding Nemo was released on May 30th, two, uh, 2003 to rave reviews and went on to gross nearly $940 million worldwide. It has inspired many attractions at Disney parks around the world and a sequel film, Finding Dory, released in 2016.
2: And uh, there's one, one more little anecdote that wasn't fully part of the history, but I was very tickled about while I was researching this film. Uh, Megan Megan Mullally, who is... Uh, she was in Parks and Rec as the librarian, the one that was always... She was Tammy, too. She was always coming after Ron and uh, Will and Grace and many other things in which she is wonderful. But she was going to uh, provide a voice for the film. And the producers were dis- disappointed to learn that her voice that she does in Will and Grace for the character of Karen is not her natural speaking voice. But they still hired her, but wanted her to do the voice from Will and Grace. And uh, she refused, so they fired her.
1: Wow. <laughs> Oof.
2: Yeah. It March. says it says on Wikipedia uh, that she refused and was dismissed. It's like, that's just a nice way of saying she was fired.
1: Right. Dang. Well, it is what it is, I suppose. Another fun fact. I don't know if you knew this, but Andrew Stan actually does the voice for the turtle. Yeah. Crush. Crush. Right?
2: Yeah. He does. <laughs>
0: So I grew up on the East Coast. I'm out here in Florida, and so like that whole like accent, I guess, the surfer bro, like that like surfer like yeah. So I'm in Florida, and like we have surfers and everything, but we don't have that West Coast like sort of surfer culture. Gnarly, and dude. so I totally did not like that. Did not land with me at all as a kid. I had no idea. Like I thought that was they were just goofy characters. <laughs> so, like when I grew up and I heard like like uh, surfers talking like that, I was like. Why are they referencing this fish from Finding Nemo, like like the turtle from Finding? Nemo. I was like, why are they talking like the turtle from Finding Nemo? Like, I totally did not get that at all as a kid because I was like, not where I grew up.
2: That is so funny to me. I grew up in in Arizona, <laughs> which is California adjacent, and went to California a bunch as I was growing up. So that was, like, really kind of part of the culture in a way that, we, that, that I was just very aware of. It didn't, like, surround me, but I just knew it very well. Um, and I guess, like, also because I grew up on a steady diet of 60s and 70s TV shows, and you would occasionally have, like, a surfer dude coming in. like rocket
1: power oh rocket power
2: too yeah well no rocket power they were in hawaii they didn't really have the whole like surfer dude vibe you know they weren't like well we gotta catch the bodacious waves get on that tube
1: bro um oh oh my gosh yeah well it could have been (laughs) worse i quit i quit (laughs) i'm gone that's
2: the thing that was a really good one though that That was was
1: too good like honestly i'm just scared i've heard
2: you i have heard you do so many bad accents
1: no, but that's the thing. Broadcast. That was a good accent. Okay, I'm thank not, you. I'm not mad with you. I'm impressed with you.
2: Anyway, but I love the idea that you thought that that was them, like, doing the turtle voice from the movie. <laughs> that is so crazy to me to think that, like, you would have had no exposure. And it makes sense. Like, it makes total sense that this would be your first exposure to that. But just that that's where you would always think it was from. Boy.
0: Yeah, it wasn't until I was grown up until I realized that it was the other way around. (laughs) Like, oh, they're not all, like, doing this callback to the turtle from Finding Nemo. I thought it was just, like, they just really liked that movie.
2: (laughs) I would love it if this whole culture developed around the turtles from Finding Nemo.
0: (laughs) That they were just so charmed by them that they just adopted their ways.
2: Yeah. I love the turtles. Uh, It's it's one of my favorite parts still now, seeing as an adult, and I... I love uh, Squirt, I think, is this kid, right? And yeah. Yeah. the scene where Squirt is giving them the instructions on how to escape the, the current that they're in. <laughs> and Marlin's like, I don't know what he's saying. He's trying to communicate with me. I just know it. Remember, Riz it, roll it, and Patch it. It's like he's trying to speak to me. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> Always makes me laugh.
0: The turtles in Finding Nemo are really interesting because they're they're clearly like they're sea turtles. Um and I get like that they were going for this sort of like herd like a like traveling as a herd sort of mm-hmm. like vibe with all these turtles. Um sea turtles don't they don't do that. <laughs> they don't they don't like travel together, they're mostly pretty solitary, uh they don't take care of their young. Um like you know, famous like sea turtles famously abandon their eggs oh, on the yeah. beach. Well they I mean they don't abandon them, they bury them in the sand. Mm. But then it the parents worth peace that out of context. like they they like never see those babies again, right? Mm. So like they do not they're not gonna be like, you know, gently nurturing their child and like helping them along through the current. Like <laughs> I get it. I get that they were going for this whole sort of like, you know, this parental relationship is a movie from the viewpoint of like watching the movie now with the knowledge that i have about sea creatures and like the way that things are in the ocean i i was thinking about like okay this is not (laughs) very representative of sea turtle culture
2: well Mm -hmm. hey have you ever talked to a sea turtle all right maybe that's the relationship they want with their children
0: (laughs) i have met one sea turtle that's
1: Um, so much more than i have i
0: was (laughs) <laughs> was...
1: It was a dark night at the bar. I was three drinks in.
0: <laughs> yeah, we got in a big fight. Hmm. Well, it, I was snorkeling in where was I? I think I was in the Gulf, Coast, and um, I did see a wild sea turtle that swam by, uh, and that was extremely exciting. And it was by itself, so hmm. just you know, a lone sea turtle swimming around. That was really, really hype. It was so hype that I still remember it, and that was like ten years ago. So. I, mean, I I do at least have one eternal uh, encounter under my belt. That's pretty,
2: so that's
1: pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty, cool. pretty cool. That's, that's pretty <laughs> rad, radical, tubular. Anyway, uh, so that's actually
2: one thing, Ellen, when, when you and I were first talking about you being on the podcast, you said that you picked Finding Nemo partially so that we could like talk a bit about the differences in like what they show oceanography and ocean life to be like versus what it's actually like. Now, Obviously, we're going to skip over the joke of like, they don't talk because uh, that, you know, duh. Now, they obviously live in organized neighborhoods. That just makes perfect sense to me. And all the all the fish kids go to school together, which and is they a... ride
0: an eagle ray to their yes.
2: school. Yes. Which is See, I'm glad ultra. you
1: just said eagle ray, because I was about to say I went to school on a manta ray, too, which obviously was a lie to begin with, but made worse by the fact that apparently it was an eagle ray. So.
0: Yeah, man. You can tell because manta rays have those little flippy flap things in the front of the face. Like, you know how, like, on the front of the manta ray, they have these two, like, fleshy bits sticking right out the front. Um, eagle, the, the, what's his name? Mr. Ray, uh, the teacher in the movie, he doesn't have those little flippy flaps. So he's an eagle ray.
2: Not an eagle ray. That's Well, good there you know. go. Listeners, That's... you're going to learn a lot from
1: this podcast. <laughs> I like that. You, you can tell by something, something, flippy flaps. It's like, yeah. I,
0: that's what the, I mean I'm sure there's a science for that I'm sure
1: there um, is I like your
2: version I like flippy flaps though yeah let's like, keep that flippy.
0: in like you know what I'm talking about yeah
2: yeah like, flippy, flippy flaps flippy yeah. flaps
1: yeah <laughs> do you know what she means
2: one thing no not not a clue uh, one <laughs> thing <laughs> no I, I I'm pretty sure I know. if I saw if I saw a man array, I'd probably be like yeah the flippy flaps
0: uh, yeah if you pulled up a picture and looked at it right now you'd be like those are the flippy flaps
2: well what a, what is a podcast if not something <laughs> that people google things on why am I typing in Marlin uh manta ray that's what I all
1: want. right. that's an eagle ray looks pretty on point oh the manta flippy flaps ray. yeah 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 see uh, <laughs> wait you mean like the mouth the, thing the mouth oh, curly yeah, things like the, the pl- flippy flaps the, yeah the flip I get it yeah see
0: Y'all were dunking on me. I wasn't. Well, I you with was. egg on your face I, now, it was
1: Nick. I don't. I don't know if I was dunking. Like, no, you're was I? If, I? if anything, I apologize. Like, I just became so educated now.
2: <laughs> we we apologize for our disparaging remarks to the manta ray, the ray- or eagle ray oh, <laughs> to the ray community. Oh, I have
0: some notes. <laughs> I have some notes that I took on. So, like. Like, like you mentioned that they did have kind of like a crash course in fish biology and and actually i know that they did have like at least one probably i'm assuming more than just one but they had like marine biologists that did some consulting for them like yeah. they had actual science consultants for the movie and i'm totally not gonna be like oh my gosh i hate this movie because it's so inaccurate like come on guys it's a, for kids it's a cartoon right you have to suspend disbelief to a certain extent uh, like my sort of like approach to providing more like information about like well they're actually more like this Is just like if you're curious yeah. right like oh, it's super interesting I, I think it's fun to be like watching the movie especially because i watched this as a kid
1: mm. and
0: being a kid you don't know any better. You just assume that everything you're seeing on the movie is because that's the way it is in real life.
2: Like, um, as a kid, you would not realize that uh, <laughs> Marlin would just change his sex and uh, just continue his life then with Nemo once Nemo was born. And yeah, he, uh, they would they would yeah. probably
1: continue their family life.
0: Yeah, they'd just be like, see you later, guess you got it from here. That's I'm gonna the- go be a mom now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that seems to be a a frequent uh, thing in nature, right? Like, like there's in 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 human life. I'm not gonna say real life because it's all real, but just like there's such an emphasis on like developing parental units and like family is thicker than bl- something, water, blood. I don't family remember. Thicker but, water. <laughs> family's thicker than water. Family's thicker than water, and but in like nature, a lot of times it's just like you're here. I'm kicking you out of the nest. I'm burying you in the sand. Like it's not. It's not, it's not very family nurturing. Yeah, it's yeah, definitely with, not nurturing.
0: With fish especially, because of the way that fish reproduce, right? Like, often, a lot of times, the female just, like, kind of puts her eggs out there into the water, and then the male comes along later and fertilizes them, right? Like, there's not always, like, this sort of mating, like, process where they're having contact with each other. So, like, a lot of times, they just kind of, like, cast... <laughs> the little the little dudes out and then they're like all right hope this works hope you survive bye mm. like that's just the way that like fish reproduction works there are, there are some fish that actually do kind of like take care of their kids um piranhas sort of like Weird. guard their eggs and they will to like for a little bit they'll kind of protect their baby mm. um they're not like taking care of them right they're not like feeding them and showing them how to be excellent piranhas or anything like that but they're at least trying to make them not die which i think is like for fish that's a huge parental investment
1: also the Mm. fact that it's piranhas like piranhas are you know they're kind of like usually maligned by society like they're the ones that are going to eat you if you stick your hand in the water or whatever which is maybe still true but like also they're great parents (laughs) it's not yeah yeah. come on what what is true Alan? what is true (laughs) I'm I'll tell
0: you what now. is true. I got okay. something that is true. Um,
1: okay.
0: The the symbiotic relationship between the clownfish and the anemone. anemone oh, yes.
2: Anemone? Oh, anemone? anemone. I have a really hard anemone. time with that. Anemone. <gasps> okay, okay. Don't hurt yourself. Um, there's this really cute thing in the
0: very beginning of the movie where Marlon is getting Nemo ready for school. And he's like, oh, you got a brush do you want the anemone
2: anemone,
0: whatever to sting you? And then he goes and he like brushes his like whole body against the anemone. That's real. Clownfish actually do that. Hmm. Like that's legit. That's how they, uh, it's called acclimation and it's how they develop their immunity to the stinging cells from the anemone. Like that's, that's legit. (laughs) That was very cool to me
1: i like all these fun facts because when i was taking notes someone told told me that hey did you know that the the reason the shark is named bruce is because that's what they call the animatronic shark that they used for jaws and i'm like that's fun i'm gonna bring up on the (laughs) podcast but now you're all like an enemy teeth brushing side something i'm like (laughs) well i like that
0: too because like there's so it's a good convergence right because this is like It's still a cartoon movie, right? It's going to be a combination of biology and also pop culture.
2: Nick, I'm so glad you brought up the sharks because there's something I have to to drop on you. Before that, though, there's something that you said where you were like, just putting their eggs out there. And it just made me think of like a fish dating app, like a Bumble (laughs) or a Tinder for fish. And it's just like, I'm just a a fish putting my eggs out there, seeing what happens. (laughs)
0: <laughs> they would call it finder.
2: There it is. Oh, I was trying man. to think of a good pun but it didn't come to me fast. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> finder. Now, now Nick, those sharks, do you know did, did you see who voiced all of them? No,
1: I didn't I didn't because, look close enough.
2: Because one of them is voiced by Best Hulk Eric Bana. The,
1: which which one though? Or do I have to guess? Am I guessing?
2: Uh, uh, it's the it's the hammerhead shark.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I wouldn't have guessed that. <laughs> well that's good that's cool eric Bana is as we all know the best hulk
2: eric Bana, best hulk uh, that's it that is a, a deep cut from our heck yeah comics days i do want to talk about the the voice casting in this movie because just some incredible people obviously we mentioned alan brooks and, and ellen DeGeneres, uh, but and i feel like it's a, it's an incredible cast in the way of like not just like huge names but really like, venerable names that, like, people we all know and kind of like, uh, aside from Ellen DeGeneres, who's turned out to be a jerk. uh, But you got, like, Stephen Root, and Jeffrey Rush is in this movie, Willem Dafoe, and uh, Brad Brad Garrett. And I have developed over the past couple weeks what I've been calling the Allison Janney Quality Index, which is just, if Allison Janney is in a movie, or how good a movie is, is directly proportional to how much Allison Janney is in a movie – and, like, once you reach a certain point, it's just, you know, off the charts. It's already good the second she shows up. And it was just reconfirmed. Like, I was watching this, and the sea the star in the tank starts talking. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's Alice and Janney. Great. Like, we are, I already knew this movie was great. But if I didn't, now I know for sure. Alice and Janney's here. Seriously, can't think of, I can't think of a bad movie Alice and Janney's ever been in. I, I, I dare you, listeners, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know what bad Alice and Janney movies there are. You're
1: wrong. I'm, I'm, I, not, I'm not Googling right now. Since we're, since you
0: were talking about the voices of the shark, the the whole scene with the sharks, where mm-hmm. what I now know as an adult is a reference to, like, Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. that totally went over my head as a kid, right? Like, I had never... I, I wouldn't have had any reason to ever see any sort of, like, reference to the sort of, like, AA-style, like, support group meeting. So, like... Every time I see that sort of format reference now, I think back to the shark scene from Finding Nemo. This is like the ground zero of that sort of whole trope for me. That whole like, hi, my name is blank. And then everyone says, hi, blank. Like that's, <laughs> that's what this conjures for me now.
2: And, and yeah, they've, sure. got the, they've got the steps. like they, they are doing a whole parody of it like all the way through. They're like, remember the steps, Bruce, when he starts like trying to eat the fish. <laughs> and and then uh i love when one of them has like a couple of friends that look like just terrified the whole time at the end (laughs) dory is still going to those meetings i don't know why but dory is still going to the the fish eaters anonymous
1: she's got a
0: lot i think it showed i think it showed like consistency from the sharks it showed that they really did mean it you know like I I felt like that was sort of a nod to the sharks. Like, look, they're still friends. They, you know, I don't know. I thought it was an olive branch of something to the shark character.
2: Even though one of them uh, was still eating fish. Saying that. On the DL, I suppose. That's true.
1: People make mistakes. Even. Look, yeah, he fell off the
2: wagon. Doesn't mean that he's, you know, a bad guy. (laughs) <laughs> it's
0: true. You can get back up. It's all right. Just get back on and just every day, put one foot for the other. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what, yeah. su-
2: that's what support groups are all about.
0: <laughs> now with the, so what I always kind of wondered was like, okay, they're sharks. If they're not eating fish, what are they eating? Um, Like, you know, these are huge sharks. Good question. What else are they eating? <laughs> I, they could be eating mammals. Like they could be eating seals um, or birds <laughs> or anything like that. It only uh, fish are friends. right because they only say like they don't say i'm vegetarian or i'm vegan they just say i don't eat fish What if they're eating other sharks they could be well i mean mean, sharks are kind of weird because like they're technically considered fish but it it gets into a whole taxonomy thing that i don't feel like dealing with right now but (laughs) like i'm assuming that they're probably eating
1: i'm assuming and birds I'm assuming they're just eating all the lunchables that land in the ocean that go uneaten. You know, just like a truck full of lunchables falls out of a cargo plane. This is my story. Uh, You know what you call that? What? call that shark cutery. Oh, no. Dang.
2: She's on fire. Ellen, you're good. Hold on. I don't want to zip past the fact that Nick said a truck full of lunchables falls out of a plane and crashes into the ocean.
1: That the sharks then eat like what's so hard to believe it's trucks the circle like of life
0: yeah you can't actually transport a truckload of anything without it being without inside be of an in actual truck. truck it can't <laughs> leave the truck
2: <laughs> shipping containers are really just uh houses for trucks full of things. i mean <laughs>
1: containers really are just the backs of trucks without the truck
2: part. okay we can't we can't <laughs> i don't whatever road this is going down we can't
1: it's a road that only trucks can go down david
2: The
0: only other thing I wanted to say about the sharks um, is that there is actually, there are actually a couple of types of sharks that are omnivorous rather than purely carnivorous. They do actually see seaweed. Like if you catch them out of the ocean, you will find plant matter in their tummies. Um, One of them is bonnet heads, which are sharks that are, they look at a glance kind of like hammerheads, um, but they're much smaller than hammerheads. We have them around here in Florida. Um, we found them on the beach before and they actually do seaweeds. So, I mean, none of the sharks in the movie were bonnet heads. And I don't think that any of the sharks in the movie can actually digest plant matter, but that's not like sharks eating plants is not completely off base. Hmm.
1: We're well, going back to my theory.
2: <laughs> I want to know Ellen, because even seeing this movie as a teenager, We all started doing like the mine thing as a joke the seagulls do. You know, mine, 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 mine. Oh my God. Yeah, we
1: were annoying teenagers.
2: Well, but then as a kid, I have to imagine, you probably drove your parents insane.
0: Oh my God, it was so bad. It it was so bad that like even watching the movie now again, so many years later, when I hear them start it up, both me and my husband, because we were watching it together, both me and my husband were like, oh, oh, I forgot about this. Like, I kind it was of did this, too. It made me feel sick. I was like, "Oh god, I forgot about it." It's like it's like when you're a kid and like you have a giant bag of candy or something, and you eat the whole bag in one sitting and then you get sick. And then later on you can never eat that candy again because it reminds you of that one time you ate way too many. Like it triggers that sort of nauseous feeling. I'm like, "No, not again." <laughs>
2: <laughs> I kind of have forgotten about it too, and then hearing it's like, "Oh yeah." That was like a thing for a few years after this movie came out. Just mine, mine, mine. And it really, it really is. Maybe just because now I'm in my thirties hearing the seagulls do that. I was like, oh, that is just so annoying. And if I had kids, I would hate for them to see that.
0: Yeah. If there's one thing about this movie that I think should just be deleted entirely, it's seagulls.
2: Oh, interesting. Throwing some shade at the seagulls. from
0: and my... I don't. I I don't know if I found that funny as a kid, but I certainly don't now.
1: <laughs> I think the hard thing for me to admit is that I probably did find it funny. And it says a lot about me.
0: I mean, well, like I get it. It's it's meant for it's meant to be funny, you know, but yeah. gosh. Just the the repetition and how hard we went with it as kids. Like we really that was just so tailor-made for kids to be as annoying as possible. And yeah, kind
1: can I just have a little on-show therapy here? Similar similar situation. Uh, when Napoleon Dynamite came out, <laughs> um, apparently, I don't know, tell me if I sound like him now, but apparently in high school, I sounded like Napoleon Dynamite, and everyone would try to get me to say, like, Tina, come get your food.
2: Oh, that uh, is a, a movie we will do on here, and we will we will discuss how we drove every, as teenagers, we drove every quote of that movie into the ground. I don't think you sound like him now. He was doing a very specific voice, but I didn't know you in high school, so maybe you did.
1: I think we did know each
2: other in high school.
0: I think every, like, maybe high school and middle school at that time, if you had a deep voice, then that was, like, you sound like Napoleon Dynamite because that was, like, the frame of reference for people with sort of deep voices. Like, I think if you had a, because I remember there being a lot of kids in my school that everyone would be like, oh my gosh, you sound just like Napoleon Dynamite. When in retrospect, I'm like, no, they just had voice. <laughs> <boys."
1: laughs> That's true. That makes me feel better. Thank you. The therapy was, good. was I,
2: good. I had a bunch of, uh, when I was, like, when I, when I was, uh, I'm, I'm trying to contextualize this because it's going to sound really weird. So I volunteered at a camp and at this camp was middle schoolers and I was like, just out of high school, in college, and I had a bunch of them calling me Eric Foreman, which I get. Like, I get how I'm giving off that Eric Foreman energy from that '70s show, but I don't think that I look or sound like Eric Foreman.
1: I mean, it just seems weird that a, a bunch of like middle schoolers knew enough that to like pick you part. as some like some like stoner guy that sits in a basement and smokes weed. I mean, which I don't a... think you actually were. You weren't, no. but that's what they 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 were conscious enough to sort of decide that that's what would that's what you'd be associated with
2: all right let's let's bring this truck that we're driving out of a plane (laughs) back to finding nemo (laughs) this movie is beautiful it is i i really want to take some time to talk about the animation because i'll watch some other stuff that's from the same era from like pixar and stuff and while it's you know it looks great at the time and it still looks pretty good some stuff is just like a little bit stilted like even even um monsters inc the characters don't move as fluidly as they do now in pixar movies and even some of the people in this looked a little plasticky some of like the stuff out of the ocean had that kind of like plasticky look to it but everything mm. with the fish and with the ocean was just gorgeous to look at and it still holds up today and surpasses other animated films by a mile.
0: It does. It looks really great. And like so I I enjoy animation for myself. I still watch cartoons. I still watch Pixar and Disney movies when they come out. Like I'm on top of like current releases in Kids Entertainment. Not only because I like it, but also because I have two kids. So, you know, we're always watching whatever's latest the latest cartoon that's coming out. I kinda use my kids to keep watching cartoons. <laughs> um but, like, rewatching this years later, I was kind of expecting that sort of like, "Oh, yeah, I had nostalgia goggles on. it wasn't actually that great, um, but no, like it really held up. There were only. Like some of the textures didn't look quite like some of the textures looked kind of like a video game character, Mm -hmm. right? Like where you can tell that their clothes were just like textures applied to the model. So like when they move, you can really tell that there's no like dimension to things that look like they're supposed to have dimension, but like, like that's very nitpicky things that I noticed, but otherwise like motion was so fluid. Like everything just moved in such a beautiful way. And it had such like a nice rhythm to it. It was like you said, like really cool movie.
2: I didn't notice for most of this film that Nemo and Marlin do have like individual scales on them. And there was just some scene, remember like the light just hitting them so right that I saw that that kind of silvery glow coming off of them. And I was just like, Oh wow. They like the level of detail is such, they have these individual scales on them, but it's like so subtle that you only kind of see it in certain lighting situations. I was just, I was crazy impressed with all these, like, little details that you kind of pick up if you're really looking for them in all the fish and in the coral and all that.
0: One scene that I don't think I appreciated enough as a kid that now rewatching it, I was like, wow, that scene was, like, a masterpiece, was the jellyfish scene. Scene oh, where they're yeah. going through the jellyfish forest. I was just, like, re-watching it, I was floored by how it just beautiful it is like it's just the the motion of them bouncing across the bells of the jellyfish and they're like um just like the color palette is so perfect like the pink of the jellyfish against the blue of the water was just like absolute i was like it's everything i look for in an aesthetic it was so good Uh, (laughs) it's just absolutely fantastic
2: it was very good and i think the fact that it was like underwater gave them an excuse to to let things be like a little bit more fluid. Like they weren't trying to do the, the rigid movement of somebody walking across a room all the time, except for like in the, the dentist office and stuff like that. But because it could be like a little bit more fluid and stuff doesn't have to try to move. I mean, the fish move naturally in the sense that they studied fish movement, but it doesn't have to move. What I'm trying to say is we don't observe fish in our everyday lives very often. So I have an idea of how fish movement looks but I don't have it in the same way that I have of people walking and how people ambulate and and animals and stuff like that. So the fact that just like these fish are just gliding around the water and these little movements of their bodies and the jellyfish are all just like dangling their arms and floating around, I just I was like this is so pleasing to look at.
0: <laughs> the one scene where I think like the movement of the fish really like shines is the scene with the moonfish. Um, these are the little silver guys that school together and they make like little shapes oh, to communicate yeah. with Marlin. You know what I'm talking about? The moonfish. Yeah. The,
2: the John Ratzenberger scene, the guy who's in. Yeah. Every yeah, yeah. Film, yeah.
0: Yeah. That scene is really, really cool. And so like schooling fish when they, when they move like that, like as one, you can see like videos of them doing this online, right? Like obviously the whole like making shapes. Okay, like that's for the joke. Um, mm-hmm. not necessarily joke, I guess, but that's for like the narrative. Um, But what's interesting is that fish that swim together in these schools like this, you can see it actually on, if you zoom in on like one individual moonfish and you look closely, they've, they, they, I think intentionally included this line that these fish have down the side of their body. Um, It's called a lateral line system. And it's on either side of the fish where they have this row of sensory cells and cells are, like, specifically made to detect even very, very slight changes in the flow of the water around them. So they can, they can pick up, like, very, very tiny little, like, electric pulses, or if the water is moving in a different way, they can detect very small, like, changes in the flow of the water around them. So when they're all schooled up into the, they're all, like, tightly packed together like this, if one fish moves, then the fish next to it can feel that it has moved without seeing it. So without looking at the other fish, they know that that fish has moved and they move the same way. So that's how all of these fish can very quickly pull off these very complicated maneuvers because they can feel how the other fish around them are moving. It's really, really cool.
2: (laughs) That is really cool.
0: And you can see, like, if you zoom in on the moonfish in the movie... I, I'm pretty sure they intentionally included that lateral line, like those those cells on the side of their body. You can see that they have this little stripe across their body, and that's the cells that look like that.
1: That's amazing.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love this movie.
1: I'm, like, way so much. I'm, like, so much smarter by the end of this recording we have than, than I was when I came in.
2: We... Fish are great. We're running out of time, which I, I hate to say, because we have not really talked about like the plot of the film at all, oh, geez. or any of like the story <laughs> stuff. But is there is there anything uh, before we get to our final thoughts and some other stuff that uh, that anybody wanted to bring up that we did not get to?
0: Um, can I say something about anglerfish real quick? Of course,
2: yes,
1: do it.
0: Because <laughs> there's there's a, a, a scene with an anglerfish. Uh, that anglerfish is definitely female. Um, I don't know how much you guys know about anglerfish, uh, but the ones that are sort of football shaped and they have the l- luminescent lure on the front of their face, that's called an eska. Um, those are the feet and the males are very, very tiny. Uh, so yes. you can definitely tell which ones are females and which ones are males. And the males latch on to the females when it's time to mate and they become a little parasite on the side of her body. So um, that anglerfish, definitely a lady.
2: I knew that, actually, after you, once you started describing it. I was like, oh, yes, I remember. I, I knew that about the male anglerfish.
0: Aren't they cool?
2: They are cool and frightening. I mean, they really are terrifying to see.
1: Men now, are in the movie, in,
0: they gave In the movie, they gave her these, like, huge round eyes. And, like, I think they did that to make her seem spookier. But in real life, anglerfish have these tiny, teeny, tiny, little, itty bitty beady eyes. Um. It, and I think that makes them look creepier. Like I think if they had had left her with her little like eedy, tiny little eyes, she would have looked way more menacing. But now that I think about it, that was probably way too intense for a kids. see. Yeah. so now I totally see why they scaled the eyes up probably so that like little kids weren't coming out of there with nightmares. I get oh, it now. No, no. As I said it out loud, I was like, oh, you know what that makes
2: no, no matter what size their eyes are, if I am in a situation where I'm face to face with one of those things, I am going to be terrified. So wow, yeah, no, nothing.
1: Oops. I've opened so many tabs during this, during all of this, just like, let me, you know, I mean, definitely like a lot of this stuff I've I've seen like a real anglerfish and stuff, but it's been so long since I've ever thought to like, I should Google an anglerfish. So now I just have like tabs of different fish, um, that I'm go- also, uh, Alice and Janney films. Apparently I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I forgot time. that I was, I brought up Alice and Janney in this movie. <laughs>
0: I know I know the anglerfish. I said I was that was going to be my last thing. I promise you can cut this if you want. This is my last thing I'm going to say.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. Please go.
0: The jellyfish. Okay. Christian made this comment while we were watching the movie. My husband, Christian, made this comment while we were watching the movie. In the scene with the jellyfish, they're bouncing across the jellyfish. When they get stung by the jellyfish, they kind of depict that as like an electric shock. Mm. Right? It's like a little mm. like like, there's like a zapping sound and a little spark of light. Why do they do that? They do this in SpongeBob too. Like in SpongeBob, when they get stung by a jellyfish, it's like an electric shock. Like that's not that's not it. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. The 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 things that cause jellyfish to sting you are very similar to the cells in a an anemone. It's a it's called a um, nematocyst, and it is something that like mechanically stings you by like cu- it's it's like these tiny tiny little microscopic needles basically um and it injects like a small amount of like a mild venom um but it's it it's a mechanical thing it's not electric at all and i think that watching this movie and watching spongebob as a kid made a lot of kids think that they like electrocute you in some way (laughs) they don't that's not it that's not how it works (laughs) (laughs)
1: It it makes me feel good because I have another personal story I can tie back to this where when I was a kid, I can't remember how old, maybe around the first grade time, but one of my older brothers lived in South Carolina uh and we went to, to visit him and my one of my other brother i have a lot of brothers one of my other brothers and i were playing in the water and we were kind of doing that like almost actually kind of like in finding nemo like who's gonna you know swim out a little bit further and for once uh and i'm usually the coward but i'm like i'm gonna do it and i swim out further and then i get what i'm pretty sure was a jellyfish sting um because basically I I just it was an immediate pain. I'm pretty sure I saw a jellyfish in the water like right before it happened. Uh, and then the rest of it's a blur. But anyway, I can relate to the electrocution of a jellyfish sting.
2: Did it did you it know? feel like did it feel like an electric shock?
1: No, no, no. I was being oh. facetious in that oh, last okay. part. But um, <laughs> just to say that I know what it's like to be stung by a jellyfish. That story.
0: sucks. I've never been stung by a jellyfish, so I'm, I'm glad to hear your account of that.
1: I'm glad I'm, you survived I'm too
0: much it. of a scaredy cat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, wish I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it.
2: You don't, you don't recommend getting stung by a jellyfish? I, I don't think many people would. <laughs> the, oh, that, Okay, we brought up Will Smith earlier, so I have to bring up this because now we're talking about jellyfish, and it's, just, it's all tying back. There's a movie where Will Smith uh, kills himself to give his organs to a bunch of people. Big, pounds. Uh, yeah 12 that big spoiler alert for that movie i don't think it was very good so i don't really care but his method of doing it is getting in a bathtub with a jellyfish it's,
0: Ew. it's oh insane. yeah
2: it's don't so that. so weird there's like thematic I, reasons but it's so dramatic that it's like it took me completely out of the what little stake i had in the film already
1: i mean i feel <laughs> like bringing a jellyfish into a bathtub with you is an inherently dramatic act i don't know if the movie had to oversell it Yeah.
0: I thought you were about to reference Shark Tale. Um,
2: <laughs> also, would have been a good that one. that
0: was kind of like riding on the coattails of Finding Nemo, but like way edgier. Yeah, <laughs> like do you remember that movie Shark Tale?
2: I mean, yeah, I it was like the, the, the
1: ants, f- uh, Bug's Life.
2: Yeah, I remember in the fact that it exists. I don't remember it because, in the sense of seeing it, because I have not.
0: It's horrible. I rewatch. <laughs> It was on TV, and I I caught some of it not too long ago. God, it's bad! It's so you. bad. But there were jelly. I think weren't there like like Rastafarian jellyfish in the movie? For well, jellyfish, I you. remember Maybe. that. God, probably. Anyway, sorry for infecting you with having to remember that movie. No,
2: no, it's it's all good. I wish we had so much more time to break down, actually get into. Finding Nemo and the father-son relationship. But unfortunately, before we get to our final thoughts, uh, we have one other thing that we got to do. Not unfortunately we have to do it, just unfortunately that we do not have more time. Of course, we put the call out to you, our listening audience. We pose a question with our episodes, and we ask this week, what is something that you often forget? Because you got Dory in this movie, who's pretty spacey and doesn't, uh, doesn't remember things very well. I'll, I'll turn this quickly to everyone here on the show. What do you all forget often that makes you feel a little bit like Dory? Ellen, is there anything that pops to mind for you?
0: Um, I have ADHD, uh, which manifests in the form of memory loss, frequent short-term memory loss. So I, I do feel often <laughs> like Dory in that way. Like rewatching it as an adult, I was like, oh no, I relate way too much to this. <laughs> um, but my thing that I forget frequently is taking a cold cup of coffee and putting it in the microwave, and reheating it, and leaving it there perpetually.
2: No, the vicious cycle. Every day.
0: Every single day.
2: Nick, what about you? Anything that you forget?
1: I mean, I don't even get to the point of reheating a cold like a tea. Like I just, I just make a hot tea and then leave it and then never drink it. Um, I was gonna. My original thought, David, was when uh, we play Overwatch together and we're halfway through a match and I'm just like, "What's our goal right now?" And it's like, you know, carry the payload or are we defending or attacking? Like I never pay attention uh, and thus forget. It's Um,
2: it's one of the funniest
0: things that's never on the payload.
2: Yeah. It's the funniest thing to me when you ever say it. But it's just like we've been playing this match for five minutes. How do you have no idea what our objective is?
1: I,
0: Are you yeah. every DPS I've ever played with in my life?
1: I am. I am the the stereotypical DPS. Like I, there's a reason <laughs> that I I usually focus on DPS versus other things, uh, on versus other roles. Uh, I've gotten better, to be clear. But yeah, no, I'm totally generic DPS guy.
2: Well, my tank main heart is. This, that's so who's your wait. Who's your main though? While we're here, Arisa. Oh yeah, uh, i we we play a lot of mystery. Life's heroes. been rough. I, I always <laughs> love getting her. She's a good one. We just started. Okay, this is not her. an Overwatch podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I this, forget. Yeah, you know what?
1: this. This episode is is a perfect sort of yeah. This um, is a real some real dory energy. Evil. More probably more finding Dory because we just have literally gone off on these different tangents, so I, I do feel like we're doing the movie an honor. Sure. by all of these <laughs> little tirades. but uh, David, what do you I forgot? what do you forget about?
2: Uh, I get forgotten on my own show all the time, apparently, <laughs> it seems <laughs> I forget uh, w- along with the coffee cup, I forget my mug all the time, like I always just set it down somewhere as soon as I'm done, and I don't just take the short trip back to the kitchen to put it back. So I will often on my desk when I come in in the morning have at least two empty mugs sitting there. And then I'm so bad about like taking I'm like I like I take that with me when I go into the kitchen and they'll just sit there and it'll get to the point where I have like three or four mugs on my desk and I got to got to take care of that situation. But you get a
0: walk of shame back to the sink. <laughs> yeah,
2: with with an arm full of mugs. But here's what you our <laughs> listeners had to say.
1: Yeah, uh Audie Norman. Hello, Audie, said, uh, taking the pizza stone out of the oven after it cools.
2: That's an easy thing to forget. Ed uh, and I apologize, Ed, if I am pronouncing your last name wrong here. Huel you you've you're a, a recent listener and you've been communicating with with us a bunch, and I and I appreciate it. I'm so sorry if I if I butchered your name there. But you said my dad's birthday, which I'm the worst at forgetting any birthdays, so right there with you.
1: Yep. I can vouch for that. Phil Rude, friend and enemy of the show, uh, said to take pens out of my pocket before doing laundry.
2: That's a high hi, Phil one. and hi, Phil, and <laughs> Robin Jensen said, "I don't remember." I get it, Robin. I see what you did there. <laughs> if you're listening and you want to participate when we ask these questions, then like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Hit Me One More Pod. Now we come to the time where we ask the question is this still good does this belong in the hall of memories or is it worth visiting today i have a pretty good feeling how we're going to answer this even though we didn't discuss the movie much i think with the way that we discussed things around the movie it, it painted things pretty well but we'll start with you ellen what are your final thoughts on finding nemo now as an adult
0: it's it holds up extremely well it's very good the values are solid you know like a lot of times rewatching an older movie childhood there might be some things that come up where you're like it could be a little iffy in retrospect but now this one uh all through and through if you can suspend enough disbelief that you can just vibe (laughs) with the uh everything that they're putting out there on the screen. Yeah. This is definitely a, uh, you can revisit this one without having to worry about uh, those nostalgia goggles coming up. It holds up.
2: Nick, your thoughts.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is this, you know, this is a tough one because to this day, I mean, finding emo is still a blood film. Excuse me. So it's uh Uh, You know, that being said, I I hadn't watched it in a long time, so I I agree with Ellen, like can confirm, you know, while some parts of the animation maybe just don't hold up to today, like what we're able to do today, it is still really solid, um, even by today's standards. Um, The humor, the scripting, the overall plot, like it's just a really well done, competent, funny and compelling film. Uh, So if you haven't had a chance to watch yet or you're thinking about revisiting it, definitely put it on your watch list.
2: One hundred percent agree. For me, I even took to going to Google and trying to Google people's criticisms of the movie to see, like, well, was there anything negative that we can like bring up to talk about? And just like it doesn't exist, this movie has a ninety nine (laughs) percent on Rotten Tomatoes, deservedly so. Uh, Still not as good of a rating as Paddington Two, but that's because Paddington Two is a perfect film and nothing will ever touch it. But it's it's pretty darn close. It's it's just it's a great movie. The story's still good. The, the, like you said, the values hold up. Uh, it, and they're still relevant today when we talk about stuff like helicopter parenting. And it's funny and looks beautiful and it's a wonderful movie. Watch it if you haven't and watch it again if you have and It's been a while. You'll enjoy it. Ellen, thank you so much for being on the show and for bringing the topic.
0: Of course. Thank you guys so much for uh, letting me come on and, and share my enthusiasm for this movie from my childhood. This has been a great excuse to revisit it.
2: If people want to find you and see what you're up to, where can they find you?
0: Um we're most active on Twitter. On Twitter, our handle is just at just the zoo of us. Um we're on Facebook and Instagram as well. If you search just the zoo of us, I trust you that you will get there. You will find it. We're on all of the major podcast streaming services, so if you like animals, uh, you can totally come listen to one I as a the last episode that I recorded was on Vietnamese mossy frog with a biologist and naturalist that was a really cool episode. Um we've done episodes on manta rays, anglerfish, um I'm trying to think well there were no manta rays in finding Nemo, but if you like manta rays, they're in there. Um humpback whales which were referenced in the movie too. So if you like those animals the episodes about them. Um on all the major podcast streaming services, I have a website, just thezoobus.com. Um yeah, come hang out with us virtually in the social media space.
2: Do it, people. Nick, thanks for being here, man.
1: Thank you for having me and still inviting me back every week. Like it's a little concerning. But thank you anyway. where um, people find you? You can find me on Instagram at palblam shazam underscore art where i am currently doing a hashtag am i allowed to say hashtag hashtag 100 heads challenge i'm drawing 100 heads faces whatever you want to call them Uh, and it's going well so far also you can find me on twitter at Pal blam shazam i forgot just now that i changed it so yeah at Pal blam shazam and that's me
2: If people want to find me, Davla's around the internet, D-A-V-L-U-Z, and you can find the show. Hit me one more pod is our socials, and hit me one more time dot com. You can find all the ways to contact us there. Please do. We love to hear from you. That is going to do it for us today. Listening audience, thank you for being part of the show. We do this show for you. We do this show because of you. Remember, you can't move forward if you're always looking back. We'll see you next time.